This is Rugga Matrix America. Hey everybody, this is Alex Goff from Goff Rugby Report. Rugga Matrix America brought to you by Eagle Impact Rugby Academy and we're very excited to have as our guest this time around USA Women's 15s National Team Head Coach Pete Steinberg. Pete, great to have you on the show. You're welcome Alex, it's my pleasure to be here. Well, we're coming off a couple of games for the women's national team uh, in Chula Vista, played two games against Canada, uh, games that Canada won fairly handily. And I guess, well, Pete, you tell me, I mean, it seems like uh, the team is still a, a bit of a work in progress going up to the World Cup. Oh, I think it's very much a work in progress. I mean, I think the um, we had, I think, some realistic expectations coming into the game against Canada, and I think um, some... You know, when, I don't think we're happy with our performance. I don't think anyone would say that we're happy with our performance, but we, uh, um, but but we're pretty realistic. Uh, you know, just just to give you an idea, Alex, after 2014, um, we looked at the next cycle, which was going to be short. So it was going to be three years, and um, you know, I, I had to make a decision about whether I was going to um, continue to coach and, and coach through that short cycle. And, you know, talking with Nigel Melville, I decided that I wanted, I did want to continue into the next cycle, but actually to build something more for the future. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my request was to kind of help unify our pathway um, and to, you know, build some structures that would allow us to develop beyond 2017. Um, I think I think we've done that, and I think that I'm I'm really happy in terms of building those structures. But I'm also very excited about the team that we have now. But if you look at the team that started against Canada in the second test, we had no players that played in the World Cup um, in 2014, and I think Canada had something like 14. And so we're in we're in an off cycle, like we're in a cycle where the team that we have, um, you know, should go into 2021 as one of the favourites. Um, and um, the question that we have now is how good can we get over the next four months? And um, I think we can get a lot better. Um, we're very, we're, every time we practice, we get better. Every time, um, you know, we get a chance to play, I think we improve. And so, you know, I, I, so I, you know like I said, I, I don't think I was happy with our performances against Canada, but I think I saw a lot of potential that could be realized um, over the next four months. Now you're you're faced with a bit of a decision, uh, perhaps more so I think, on the women's side than you do on the men's side. That uh, you could pick like a wily veteran, somebody who's been around for quite a while, whose uh, career lasts a little bit longer. Uh, on the women's side, you know, sometimes the careers do last a, a bit longer than they do on the men. Or you could go with a young player, uh, maybe who struggles at this level. Um, but would be there for uh, World Cups to come and learn something. So I'm just wondering how you how you balance that out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's 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 an interesting challenge. What I would say is that we we tend to go um, with performance first. So if um, the way I would put it is, if one player is better than the other, the better player gets selected. If it's close, right? If it's close, what we have to look at is we have to look at which one of these has a steeper learning curve? So when we look at our, um, our, our players, we'll say, if these two are equal, who's going to get better quicker over the next four months? And so I think, I think that that is a challenge, and we don't have enough tests. But I think you can see in the players that we have out there 
the Katie Bensons, um, the uh, um, Alicia Washingtons, the um, Jordan Grays. These are players that we identified three years ago and have been pretty constant throughout our campaign. Um, and I think those are the players that, you know, we've really invested in to say, you know, we, we, we had to kind of make a guess and said, you know, do we think this person can play in the 2017 World Cup? And I think there are a number of players that have been pretty constant as member of our squads and, and, on, and on the starting lineup um, that, that are young because they haven't played at the last World Cup, but are getting up to eight, nine, ten tests. And um, I think that's uh, um, so. I think they're going to go into the World Cup relatively, um, you know, relatively experienced. Relatively experienced, and you you touched on it there with you know we don't have enough tests. Um, if if you look at international stats on women's international rugby, um, the the records for the United States in terms of number of caps, points scored, all that stuff is way behind a bunch of other nations, simply because. The, the Eagles don't play that often. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen it in the past, whether it's um, playing against, say, an, an, an Eastern All-Star team or a Western All-Star team or, you know, one of the major Premier League teams or somebody uh, trying to get a game in. And unfortunately, boy, I remember having this conversation with uh, Kathy Flores, and that must have been back in 2005. 2006 that must be that was the same issue um are you frustrated um do you want i'm sure you want more games but are you frustrated with how slowly it's getting to that point um well i think that if you look back over the last couple of years we haven't actually done that badly i mean that we have um you know played some tests we I, i mean i think that it what I would say is what's frustrating, I think, for those of us in the women's game is world rugby's lack of movement or slow moving to supporting the women's game. You know, when world rugby um, steps up and says, hey, we're going to have this competition, then it creates some justification to for the union to support it. And so the reason why we're behind so many other unions is that they have the Six Nations. Right. And the Six Nations, you know, they get five games a year every year, plus the games that they that, that we get in in many cases. Right, and so I, 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 you know, a lot of I think a lot of our frustration is with world rugby. Um, I think that yes, we would like to have more games, but last year we had five tests. Right, you know, and and so five, you know, five tests is actually pretty good. This this year we made it. We actually made a decision. So this year we had our Can Am, and we we had to make a choice do, do we want to do what we did last year i'm sorry the last cycle which is to travel to europe um or maybe travel to the southern hemisphere and get in two or three games um or do we want to invest in more practice time together as a team and so in the last cycle it made sense for us to go and play more games because we were experienced our learning curve wasn't that great but we actually made the choice this time that we're going to be together for a month um which is you know phenomenal for us leading into the world cup and that's where we're investing our money um in 2014 we were still coaching in between games but what we hope is after our month together we can um you know we we can just prepare and so we th- those are the different choices that we have to we have to make um when we went you know last in the last cycle we played wales and two matches against england which meant in two weeks we probably had something like seven practices or eight practices right. because 
because you're either, you know, because you have match day, you have recovery day. If we didn't have games in two weeks, we could have, you know, 12 practices. So we, we feel like with the youth that we have in our team, that there's a better investment in us spending time together this, um, this summer. However, I think that what we have to look at in 2018 to 2021 is how we can consistently get five games um, a year. And if we can get five games a year, then that means someone who wasn't capped in 2017 could go to the next World Cup with 12, 15, maybe even 18 or 19 caps. And that is a number that I think would allow them to go as an experienced international. Good. Now, what, one, of, one of the issues, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, it's, it's really more as much my observation, observation of a couple other people, but uh, when, when the USA struggles, it seems like they struggle on the physical side of things uh, rather than um, you know, the, the skill side of things. It seems like uh, opposition teams are just a little bit bigger, a little bit nastier and it's interesting because you as coach of uh penn state i think you had you know you won a number of national championships and partly being one of the more physical teams uh in college rugby possibly the most physical team regardless of the position somebody was playing um do you feel that's a fair criticism or or, or fair observation first of all and and what do you do because i to Stay with the physical level of international rugby, especially if you're not playing games and you're 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 training basically against each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at the Canada series, I would say that um, that's probably a pretty fair criticism. I think there, there are some reasons behind it. I think if you look at us at the uh, um, at the World Cup in 2014, we kept that physicality. And if you look historically at the um, at the uh, at the U.S. going back multiple World, World Cups, we are almost always one of the best defensive teams. Um, so I, I, I think the reason why we've, we've struggled, particularly against Canada, is that in, this, in the last cycle, our first um, focus was actually defense and the kicking game. Right. So what we said was that um, we're going to lead with what we do well, which is defense, and we're going to play with territory, and you, know, you can look back and you can – sort of identify, I think, South Africa in, um, you know, 2007 on the men's side is sort of the sort of thing that we wanted to kind of create. Um, the challenge with that approach that we had in the last cycle is we just didn't score enough points. And so in this cycle, we've probably spent double the amount of time on attack than we have on defense. So what, what you saw in Canada was us beginning to make that shift. So, you know, I think if you look at the difference between the first and the second game was that we became more physical because that was our focus. And that defensive physicality is something that, that we will be working on as we lead towards the world cup. But I think it's a fair criticism of where we are right now. And I think what you can see or what, you know, we, we you know, basically what we decided is let's do the thing that's hard for us first in right. terms of our time together for the first couple of years, which was building our attacking shape. And now we, we, really, we really have, I think, um, I think our attacking shape is getting there. It's getting very, very close to being really effective. If we look at the France, the, you know, an example, our analysis of the France um, uh, test, the first test, 
was that in the first half we had seven try score opportunities and I we converted none of them. Right. So our structure is creating the opportunities for us. So I would say, yeah, we're not physical, but I'd probably also say that our skills need to be at the point that we can take those opportunities. So, um, but I, you know, I'm confident that we can get there, especially with the addition of the sevens players in our backs. They really bring a high level of skill and athleticism. And, you know, I think in the Canada series, you know, you saw Naya Tapper um, and Chris Thomas be a couple of the more dynamic players from either time, um, either side on the field. We just have to give them the ball a little bit more in space. Certainly, I, I think I think we know that if they get a little bit of space, they can they can damage some people. Um, Absolutely, and 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 it would it would stand to reason that the time together, uh, training together, that's it's going to help on both sides of the ball, but probably a little bit more offensively, working with each other and understanding how each other works. Yeah, and I think people, you know, for us. Um, the Can-Am assembly was basically the first time that we've had a squad together that is going to play together, um, you know, where the large majority are going to go to the World Cup. You know, in France, we had, we were missing, you know, a few backs that we would probably like. France was probably the beginning of it. But France was kind of a bit of a, it was a very difficult tour for both the staff and the players. Mm. Um, I didn't go because my, um, I just had my, my daughter. Right. Um, and, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of lead time um, that was put into it. So, it, you know, we wanted to get some experience for some of the sevens players like Kate Zachary and Alev Kelter um, that hadn't played before. But in terms of our performance, I'm not sure that we really put the, the um, players and staff in a position to succeed. I think there was a lot of positives that came out of it. But again, not on the not on the um, on the score. And I'm, I'm very conscious of the fact that I think we've lost um, something like seven or eight games in a row. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, but one of our challenges is we only ever play teams that are ranked above us. So we didn't go, you know, we didn't play any teams that we were expected to win, or at least in the rankings we're expecting to win. Um, and that's one of our challenges. So when we go to the World Cup, we're playing um, Spain and, it and Italy, and we would go into those games expecting to win. But none of our players have actually, or yeah, very few of our players, probably only the three or four that were in the 2014 World Cup will go there having had an experience where we walk out on the field as favorites. And so it's not just getting games, but it's getting games against a variety of opponents that I think is one of our challenges. Right. And, and it would be nice. We, we've I've talked about it. You and I have talked about it, and I think talked about it with other, uh, other coaches about the idea that if um, you know Brazil or Argentina were a little bit stronger, um, that would be... That would be helpful, you know, not just to have in in this hemisphere, not just have Canada be right, right. I mean, I think, I think, you know, it would be to to give you an example, and this is where I go back to world rugby. You know, when you work with South Africa, um, if if South Africa get invited to something, the South African women, the South African rugby union is likely to support it. But if they're actually invited to something, then there's no money budgeted for it. So. There's a little bit of where we really, you know, I, I think it would, you know, if if we if we built a women's, um, you know, ARC, uh, um, I think that would be wonderful. I, I think it would be a little bit like it is for a man, a developmental event, but it still gives our players an opportunity to play um, in those high level environments. And, um, you know, I think 
that and then you know we we as a global women's rugby community need to build up um, other teams so it's not always the top six or seven right so teams like Spain and Italy um, you know can can really begin to step up and and, and grow um, and I think that's going to be um, you know that's that has to be one of the long-term goals is the continued um, competitiveness that, that needs to happen yeah it'd be nice if Kazakhstan were a little bit more convenient because that's a, that's a good <laughs> well, country to yeah you know and, yeah you know, we had discussions with Hong Kong and Japan yeah. about like setting up something with them, but um, you know they ended up going to Europe. So you know we we kind of worked pretty hard to try and find one of those teams to you know for us to play against, but it just you know it just ended up not not working out. And so yeah, I, I mean I mean I think that it, it's what what a you know if you said to me what success would look like going um, into the World Cup, I think. You know, um, Italy are going to be a, a, a tough team. They on their day, they can pretty much play with anyone, particularly with their forwards. Um, so, and they've got a tremendous fullback. So, I think that you know, we we come in and we play Italy, um, and if we can get past Italy and Spain, having those two games under our belt, and if we can go into England healthy and with a young team, we hope that our growth will allow us to go into that England game and be you know very competitive. So. <laughs> So that's kind of how we're looking at it, but we're not looking past Italy and Spain. We we know that those are nation women's nations on the rise, um, and we recognise that you know we're going to have to be at our best in all three of those games. And then you know, only having twelve teams at the uh, at the World Cup for the women, I think, does a disservice to the game, um, and it makes your pathway very difficult. Right. Like we we can finish the game against England and not know if we're going through to the um, semi-finals until the other games finish. Yeah, that's, that's rough. That's rough. That's um, rough. You, you mentioned also, uh, you know, talking about the, the, the players and, and sort of a little bit of international experience, um, you know, and, and I do also want to talk, uh, touch on, on, on college and the domestic game, but I was looking at the, the, the lineup for the first game against Canada, and, and I believe 14 out of the 15 uh, starters had uh, had played college rugby, and it's like, well, that's great. I mean, that's really good, and it's telling that the one person who scored a try was the one who hadn't played college rugby, and that was Alev Kelter. And Alev Kelter, um, no secret, she's my favorite player on the on the US sevens team. Um, th- there's there's got to be a value to that international experience playing sevens rugby. Oh, I. I- so, you know, I think one of the things that we've actually seen is that there's a value to sevens and playing 15s. I mean, I would look back at Naya Tapper, and I think if you look back and look at Naya's performances, her coming out in rugby was actually playing in the Super Series last summer. She right. came on as a True. sub, she touched True. the ball. The first time she touched the ball, she beat two players and she scored, and she hasn't looked back since. And so I think that, um, you know, the, the two sevens and 15s codes, I, I think that, they are mutually beneficial. I think that, um, you know, I look at the development of someone like Nicole Heveland, who I think has really developed tremendously, or Ryan Carlisle, who hasn't been part of the 15s program since the last cycle and, you know, did not make the World Cup last time, but I think is coming in with, you know, such an enhanced athleticism and skills. I, I think there's no doubt. Or, you know, look at Kate Zachary. You know, Kate Zachary, I think, is someone else who has now become a, a, you know, she's someone that wasn't selected for the Olympics 
Um, she played 15s in the full for the surfers. She went on tour, and I think just playing more rugby for a crossover athlete allows them to become better rugby players. And so I think all of this is is combined, and I think one of the you know real um, bright spots for me has been the partnership with Richie Walker on the sevens team. You know, I think Richie just wants his players to play more. Um, you know, six tournaments just isn't enough. You right. you can have a player who's in the full time residency that actually could tack you know make something like five tackles all year in competition. Yeah. And they would make that in one 15s game. Right. So, so I think, I think there's absolutely mutual, um, um, benefit with Alev. I don't think it matters what sport she would play. She would probably start. So I think, I think Alev's <laughs> a little bit of, of, you know, an outlier. Um, but I do believe that Alev will become a better rugby player with her participation in, um, the 15s this year. Right. Good. There's, actually, there's actually one try she scored, I think, in Sydney, where she basically ran a strike line um, yeah. off a line out that I was like, oh, yeah, we've practiced that with a left. That's exactly the same line that she runs. And I don't think that was called, but I think that was a direct transfer from what she had learned when, when she was in France. Good. Excellent. Now, th- there are a lot, I, I think, more now more uh, players on the national team who played rugby in, uh, in college. Um, there are more players, um, I don't know if it's in the majority yet, but there are more players who started playing rugby in high school. I think that's a positive. Um, but, it, but it's interesting because, you know, we go back to the physicality thing. We, we, we talk about the, the, the really great USA play teams of uh, the 90s, early 2000s, and, and, and there were a lot of really hard-nosed women who who were good athletes in a variety of sports and picked up rugby late in life, later in life, I suppose, and, uh, and, and played rugby later in life. Um, do, you, do you feel overall that what you're getting in terms of players who know what's required, are you getting what you want from college players, from young club players, um, you know, is it overall a positive? Are there things that need to be better in the college game? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, and it's not really one that I've thought too much about. Um, I think I think that what I see a lot, um, what I'm, you know, what I think I'm most excited about is the development of the players that played in high school, right? So right. we finished, I think, the first we finished the second game, but well, we had, uh, you know, so I think that we started the second game with a scrum half to lie half combination that were 20 and 21 and they both in high school. And I'm like, and, um, with AK Pedroza and, um, Kayla Canet, when they were selected for the first test on the bench, I sat down with them and I was like, you realize you guys could be the halfback pairing in the 2029 world cup. Yeah. You'd be 30 and 32. Yeah. You know, and and so and, and so I think I think in, in that in, in that situation I think that what we're seeing and, and, and of course those are the difficult positions for crossover athletes to fill right so it, it would make sense that when we have um, in those halfback positions that we we have some of those those players that that um, do that I, I I think that there is definitely and I think you can see that with um, AK and Kayla. Um, that there is a higher level of competition and a higher level of um, there are more teams, more college sides 
that can provide um, players with a developmental pathway that leads to the Eagles, right? So I think that, um, you know, Lindenwood with Billy Nicholas there, I think, I think he's doing a very good job of sort of helping, you know, his, one of his goals and what he told me is he wants to be a place that creates Eagles and he's now created his first one. And I think that that's, that's sort of one of his focuses. And I think that that shows with AK and I think, you know, Kayla of course comes from Penn State and, um, you know, I, I, I always get a little bit, people always ask me about sort of the Penn State connection and the Eagles. And, and what I would say is that, you know, if the Stanford players weren't so smart, most of the Eagles will be made up right now with Penn State and Stanford players because those two were the dominant teams for about the six or seven years from the mid-2000s on. Um, but most of the Stanford players are too smart and they go off and get careers while the Penn State players are like, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work in a coffee shop and play rugby. But I think that what you're seeing is there's more and more places that, like at Central Washington um, and Dartmouth, there are these players where players can make a choice that can really help them develop and grow um, as rugby players as well as going to university. And I think I think we're we're beginning to see the the development of of those sorts of athletes. I mean, and it's not all all the varsity programs. Like you can look at Nia Tapper from UNC. Um, you can look at Chris Thomas from Central Florida. Um, you know, there are, there's good coaching going on in the college game, which is developing um, these players and helping them become successful. And certainly, I, I would think that you don't want to uh, give the message that you have to, you know, that, that there's an eagle you or one or two eagle yous. You know, you can, you can get on the national team from any college program. Oh, I, 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 I think that's right. And I was actually talking to a parent. Um, today that was choosing between two schools or was talking with their kid. Um, and, and what I always tell every high school player that asks me about college is I say, you have to choose a college that if you have an injury in your the first semester of your freshman year, you still love it. it. You can't make that choice for rugby. And, um, and I think that you can, you know, you, you look and you, and, and you look through that Eagle side and, you know, it's a there's a very broad range of players that played at different schools, um, and so you know I think that 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 is a positive. What I will say is that you know you can look at some of the players that didn't go to sort of what I would call a rugby university, and you know often they find themselves a year or two behind. So they like you know and and, and so it's not that you need to do it, but a good school that provides you with a good environment does accelerate your development. Right. But, you know, you're right. Education first. And I would say, uh, you know, once you get to, co- uh, to to the rugby side, coaching, you know, and the setup is good. You, that doesn't necessarily mean you even have to win too many games. No, you no. Have- I, I, yeah, I, I, you know, and my view, and, and even when club players asked me this, they said, you know, what club should I play for? And I said, you should play for you know, a club where you get the best coaching um, and, and, and where you enjoy it. And I think this, the same is true. And I think you can look at programs like BYU, right? So BYU have only just become a club sport, but they actually have, you know, one eagle and one player in the eagle pool. And Tom Wacker there is a great coach. Um, so what I always tell players is that look, look at continuity of coaching. Um, that's probably the, the biggest thing because you're committing four or five years to a school. And so you want to make sure that either that coach is going to be there for all four years or at least 
this program has the capacity to bring someone in if they leave, right? So, you know, either it's a paid coaching role or the, or the person is there for a while, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to the place that has, you know, the best sports medicine or the best strength and conditioning program, you know, and I think BYU is a great example of that. What, what about on the club side? How do you feel about the domestic game? You know, I think that the uh, I, I, the way I feel about the domestic game is I think, and uh, you know, I don't think the Eagles should drive clubs into what they should do. So my view is that the clubs need to make a decision about what they want, and um, and they should have competitions that help them. I, I do have concerns that if you look over, you know, the last ten years, you've seen an explosion in high school, you've seen an explosion um, in college, and you've seen flat, even declining in club. So there is a concern about what's going on in our club game on the women's side. Um, I think that's a long-term concern because the club game is important for the U.S. national team, and I think it's important for the U.S. sevens team. Um, So, you know, I'm not sure why that is. I don't know. um, You know, it might be a human resource issue where we actually just don't have enough good coaches to grow the club or good coaches are being, you know, pulled into the high school and college game where there might be more structure and maybe some more financial reward that's there. But I think that's an issue that, that we need to face. Um, you know, people often ask me about the WPL and I think, you know, like I said, if the clubs want a WPL, then that's great. Um, there's no requirement for an Eagle to play in the WPL. Um, there are a number of very good programs that are very good coaching there, but you know, there are very good programs with good coaching that aren't in the WPLs. So, um, you know, I think the WPL's, um, mission is a good one, which is to try and create a higher level of competition. Um, I, I do have concerns that we might be biting off a little more than we can chew as a country because you can look back at the men's game and see the the super league and the super league was around for a long time um and then the men decided you know what we should just play regionally yeah yeah and 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 that's and that's what they did and i look at like you know beantown's joining the wpl and i think that's that's great for beantown i'm very happy for them but beantown and boston which is one of the oldest rivalries in um, the women's game it's great if they play a game that means something you know, it's great if the Furies and Nova can play a game that means something. Um, and so whether there needs to be some other competition that allows that to happen, um, I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, so, so I think that, there, that there's something about the, the club game that's not working. And, you know, I, I, I would say that probably the easiest way to give a boost to the club game is to allow college and high school players to play for their club teams without losing the eligibility um, with their college or high school club. We're the only country in the world that restricts that. Yep, that's and, true. Um, and our pro- problem is not that we play too many games. That's not the problem that we have. <laughs> so that, that is true. And that's, 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 that's the thing about college sports in the United States is different. It's different from college sports even in Canada. Um, yep. We take it more seriously. Um, you know, I've got a website dedicated to it, almost that in right. high school. Um, Partly because, you know, th- that, that whole thing that you talk about, it's, it is standard for, um, you know, people remember Chris Wiles played for a long time for the United States. He was going to university and playing for a pro team. And if right. the pro team didn't select him for that week, he'd go back and play for his university team. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I remember when I was university in England, I played something like, I played more than 30 games in, in the year. 
and sometimes I'd play three games in the week. Now that was right. too many, but you know we have um, clubs, a club program where you know teams are playing eight, eight games, eight competitive games, and we have um, you know colleges doing the same, high school. And then if you just said, man, if only we could get those high school and college players to play clubs. And I think that would give a boost to the club game as well, because I think that that would allow um, the, the clubs to build that connection with those college and high school players, which means that when they do graduate, they would have somewhere to go. We've obviously got a retention problem. And I think allowing um, college players to play club might bridge that. Okay, well, now that we've solved that, uh, let, let's take a, a circle right back to the national team. Uh, what is the pool like? How experienced is it? Um, how deep is it? Uh, how are you going to whittle it down? Yeah, so we have about 45 players currently in the pool. And we, um, I think we have four players that played in the 2014 World Cup, and we have two players that played in the 2010 World Cup. So we're not very experienced. Um, we, we have a June camp, which is the week after club nationals and CRCs. The players will come in. We'll have two intra-squad scrimmages. And from that group, we'll select something like 32 or 34 who will gather for pretty much the month before the World Cup um, in Chula Vista and we'll train together. You know, what I would say is that I think that we are talented. I think that when we look at our first 15, you know, maybe 17 or 18 players, we've got some pretty good experience that they've picked up over the last three years. But I think beyond that, I think our, our, our ability is going to be high, but our experience is probably going to be low. Um, but for us, I think when we go to the World Cup, and this is sort of, I think, one of the learnings from last year, is that if we're going to go to the World Cup, you know, your first 16 or 17 or 18 need to have that experience. But after that, what you really actually want is people that are really enthusiastic. And so probably, you know, the last five or six of the 27 that we take are going to be younger players that we think can provide a boost when we need it. Um, but, you know, it's going to be, it's, it's a really difficult selection process. Uh, in the last cycle, it was um, extremely tough. Uh, you know, we have limited data. We, we measure everything our players do. We look at the data when we make selections. But it's a really, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult because I think there's a lot of talented players in that 45 um, that, you know, could, could go to the World Cup. Speaking of the World Cup, what kind of uh, support do you have going there? Uh, what what is the plan? Um, you know, we, we we know that there are are financial considerations. So, um, I know you've had a little bit of uh, help along the way. So, Irish Rugby Tours is a sponsor for us leading to the World Cup. So, you know, George George Hook um, basically came up to me and said, "What can I do?" And they're and they're basically paying for our pre World Cup camp so we can get to Ireland early. They've helped us find flights. They, they really do a good job. We've used them with the Eagles several times to help us with our tours. But if anyone is going to the World Cup, I would encourage you to um, go to irishrugbytours.com and um, you know, look at them as an option for your on-ground logistics. They also get amazing flight prices if you need it. Um, and most importantly, uh, the women's program gets a royalty. So every package that's sold 
some of that money comes back to help fund um, our trip to the World Cup and um, you know also help fund the players directly. So um, IrishRugbyTours.com is where we would like people to be able to go. Excellent. Well, that's great, and that's great that that kind of thing is done where it it ties in um, not only enhancing the experience for fans but also helps support exactly uh, the players yeah. and the and, and the national team as well. So it's a nice, good combination. Absolutely. You know, one one of the things that that I've seen more in the men's World Cup uh, is sometimes a a, a feeling like. You know, some somebody should get should get that that chance to be in the World Cup team. You know, and 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 not that it's given to them so much, but it seems like sometimes it's there's almost a sentimental pick, um, where you can't you can't have that, and you certainly can't have it if the person's not going to play a lot. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's if you look at our World Cup, we have a squad of twenty seven that we take. We have. Um, you know, five games in 18 days. So basically we have, between most games, we have three days off. It's, and it's an absolute grind. And I think one of the things that, you know, if you think back to the, um, uh, the final match in 2014 when we played against New Zealand, in our first match against New Zealand, we were pretty competitive, like, you know, especially up through the first half. And no, we were very competitive up through the first half. Um, and we just weren't able to hold them down and we weren't quite able to convert um, our opportunities. If you look at the second game against New Zealand, what you'll see is in the first 20 or 25 minutes, again, we were very competitive. We were held up over the line. You know, we were just knocked out of bounds. I mean, we could have been leading 20 minutes in. And then, like, we just basically ran out of gas, right? I mean, we just, we just, we just didn't, and it's because we, we didn't have the depth to be able to rotate. And I think that you can look at Canada and you can see Canada's performance in the final in the same way. Like they didn't have much rotation either. And so, you know, I think, I, you know, I'm not sure that we're going to, you know, that we're going to go in with a huge amount of opportunity to rotate um, as well. But I think what, what we do want to be able to do is we want to be able to provide support off the bench for players to be able to come in and make impacts. And so when you've got 27 players, you've only got four players that aren't rostered. We can't afford any of those four players to be sentimental because they're all one injury away from being able, from being able to step onto the field. I think the men have 30. I think it's probably a little bit easier for them. Um, but I don't think we're going to make any, um, any, you know, we're not going to make any selections for the future. We're not going to make any sentimental selections from the past. We're going to select the teams and the players that we think can give us the best chance of success. The only thing, you know, for me is if there's two players that are equal and one's 30 and one's 20, the 20 year old is probably going to be able to provide a little bit more of a burst and will probably grow more during the event. So if you have someone that went to the world cup, their learning curve is very, um, is very flat. If you have a 20-year-old that hasn't gone, their learning curve's pretty steep. So, you know, I, so that, that's where that would come in, but it would only come in after we've looked at the ability to perform. Um, I, I wanted to, there was one other thing I wanted to mention about, um, you know, getting on the national team, going through the, the going, you know, going through the, 
the process, and and we we've sort of um, you know had a little bit of a critique on the process, but I I guess you know it, it's fair to um, it's fair to acknowledge that the process doesn't isn't everything. You know we 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 watch like um, football players you know who go through the best high schools and the best colleges and stuff like that. And they get to the pros, and they just don't have it. Right. Um, they don't, and and especially, I would think, um, you know, and, and I think you can see that, you know, in terms of the Eagles, I have a personal thing that comes out of this um, desire. Sometimes there's a player who just has the desire to make the national team um, over whatever obstacles, whether it's playing for uh, a lower division t- club somewhere or you know, has, has a job and another job. And I think all these things, there are players who at some point you can have everything handed to you. You, you still need the desire. And um, I, I would imagine that the, the players that you really get excited about have. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you ask me um, what's the number one thing that someone needs to have to be an Eagle, that, that, that would act, that desire would be number one on the list. You know, to make the Eagles, um, players have to make sacrifices. There's some financial sacrifice. Um, when players come to our national all-star competitions, we they have to pay their own fly, and their cost of the camp is split 50-50 between USA Rugby and their wallet, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that that's a reality of, of where we are. It's not unlike um, other sports in, in their pathway, um, and, and how that works. There's kind of a pay-to-play pay model. But the, um, you know, so you have to find a way to make that work. And there are a number of, I think, very talented players who could be in the pool if they wanted to. And um, for whatever reason, and it's not a judgment, they basically have said, hey, you know, I don't want to go on this journey. And I think that um, I have a lot of respect for people that do that. I prefer someone to say, hey, this isn't for me. Um, you know, I'm not really willing to make the sacrifice than for them to, you know, put their hand up and say, I want to be an Eagle, but not really do the hard work, um, you know, to be able to do it. I, I, we do we do very much believe in balance. So we, we would prefer people not to sort of sleep on a couch and, 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 you know, for a couple of years and sort of not have anything outside of rugby. So we believe that people can, you know, should have some sort of balance. Um, but they, you know, there's still some sacrifice that needs to be made there, you know, to work out around your job and and sort of, you know, take every day of holiday playing rugby somewhere. Right, and you know, saying you don't have time to get fit, you you have to find that time. Right, right. You just have to find time, and right. and that's not unlike you know any elite vocation, right? Yeah. Or you know, passion. So. Um, and it's you know it's it's interesting because I think that one of the things that is not always recognised is um, you know for the women's eagles at least there's a lot of sacrifice that's made by the coaches and by the staff and so for us you know we're basically you know primarily a volunteer staff there's a few of us that get paid kind of like a small thank you stipend um, and you know. My, you know, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm moving my family out to San Diego for two months, right? And so we're going to go and live in San Diego because I want to be able to help prepare the team to do that. But I'm not asking you, you know, USA Rugby is not paying for that. 
that's something, yeah. that's the sacrifice that I'm making to be able to support the team. And then there are players who are doing exactly the same thing. And I think there's, there's some sort of, um, there's some opportunity there for us as a team to be able to sort of recognize each other's sacrifice. Um, and I know that there are other staff members that are, you know, doing the same thing. And so I think that that's where we are as a program. Um, I, I know that, um, you know, Dan Payne has some, um, you know, good ideas about how to provide more support to the women's game and to create more full-time professionals that are working with the women's Eagles. And I think that's probably what we need to do post 2017. But I, um, you know, I also feel that, you know, this is um, a passion for all of us. And so whether you're a staff or a player, if you want to go to the World Cup, you know, it's not going to be easy and it requires some sacrifice. Right and desire to do it. And, yeah, it, and it requires desire on the player side, it also requires desire on the coach's side, and and right. as you mentioned, you know, on USA Rugby side, there's got to be the the desire, the commitment to say, we're going to find, um, we'll find a way to either fund the team better or find those those games that we need. Um, or, or, you know, not just find those games, but create a schedule so people know when right. they would be playing and when they're not playing and when they should train and, um, you know, all those. Things. Yeah. And I know, I, I, you know, I know the organization has, you know, started discussions with world rugby around, we need a women's calendar. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's sort of, everything is very ad hoc. If we could just have a women's calendar, then that would be great. And we should be thinking about, you know, we should know what games we're playing by the end of this year, leading to the 2021 world cup. Yep. You know, it can't be that we don't know what we're doing until, you know, the beginning of the budget year or, you know, at the last minute, we should know, hey, this is this is what it's going to look like over the next four years because that allows, you know, the players and the staff to plan appropriately to be successful in those moments. Yeah. Do you think that um, the Eagle women can sustain themselves, well, not sustain themselves, but be a be a real audience draw can actually set up test matches where people are going to go see the USA women's national 15s team play. And that's what they're going to pay money to do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know what I would describe that can, can, can the women's game be a product that we yes. can sell? And, and, and I think that's really the question. And I think absolutely. We, we had almost a thousand people that came out to the Can-Am. Like we ran out of wristbands to give out. That's good. Right. Um, and, you know, it was, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was an event that was put together kind of at the last minute. Right. Imagine if we had had a year to prepare for that event and we would have put it, you know, we could have put it in the USD stadium and we could have really marketed it. And we, I mean, you know, I have no doubt. I have no doubt that that, that, that can be the case. And at the same time, I think there's a huge um, movement uh, um, to support women's sports. I think that we have, you know, if you can look at um, the apprentices who have stepped up um, and supported the program this, this year to be able to go to the World Cup, but that, their support, without their support, we probably wouldn't have been able to unify the pathway. We wouldn't have a girls' high school American program, and we wouldn't have Kayla Tannett being, you know, the youngest eagle ever at 18 um, and playing sevens and fifteens internationally as an eighteen-year-old. Right. So, you know, I think there's a lot of forces that are out there that we could tap that would allow us. I think there's a to, to bring in money. I think there's a compelling story 
um, with women's rugby that would allow that would the that sponsors would be interested in. I think there's um, a huge movement on women's leadership. It's one of the things that in my other life as a consultant, I've done some research and kind of written, um, you know, a paper or two on. I think all of that stuff is becoming more and more um, available for us as the rugby community to reach out and touch. So, you know, I, I would love, you know, one of the things I would love to be involved in moving forward is how we can make that work. Because I think that there's no doubt that the women's, you know, sevens and fifteens should be putting money, should be bringing enough money to cover our costs, but also to help the community grow. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm hopeful that we're on the cusp of being able to do that. Steve Steinberg, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, I, I know I speak for everybody when uh, I say that, um, you know, we, we wish the best for the, the, the women's national team going forward. And, and in the Rugby World Cup, we know, um, you know, that's a, that's a huge milestone for anybody who plays in it. Um, and, and everybody who's a fan of rugby and uh, a fan of the United States will be uh, pulling for the Eagles. And hopefully you know that and hopefully the, the players know that. But thank you for taking the time to talk with us on Rugged Matrix America. Thanks, Alex. And I think the support that um, we get from the rugby community in, in America is important for the players. And so I, um, you know, I hope that um, the, uh, you know, the more that they can shout out on Facebook and Twitter and those sorts of things, that's what these, uh, um, these players follow. So thank you so much for the coverage and thank you so much for the support. You got it. Thank you very much.